Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to Byte's brand new podcast, We Are How It's Played. We are a collective of students that join together to discuss topics in game design and game studies. The industry of video games is it one filled with uh, many discussions and debate on the state of games, the future, and the socioeconomic impacts. I'm your host, Zach Sexton, and today we are crawling through the dark to discuss survival horror games and the concept of fear and why it lingers in some games and not in others. Joining me today are three highly intelligible, highly credible guests. First, we have Byte's lovely podcast editor, the Miss... I'm Daly Wilhelm. We have our music man himself, Mr. Jack McGinnis. And she's been on plenty of podcasts with a wonderful voice, Miss... Cora Wilson. Thank you for joining me, guys. So I'm going to start off this podcast with just asking a general question. Can each of you tell me what your favorite moment in a horror game is or what your favorite horror game is in general? Okay, so I had the honor and privilege of playing uh, the demo for uh, Resident Evil 7 Biohazard, and that's in VR. That's, the kitchen one. That's the kitchen one. Uh, it is a very memorable kitchen indeed. <laughs> uh, so that was my very first experience with VR, or having anything so close to my eyeballs. Um, and <laughs> the like experience of that, like being just shoved into that world instantly, you're tied up on a chair, and there's a knife involved, and there's you have a buddy that's trying to get you out, and I don't trust him entirely at the beginning. And mm-hmm. then, of course, there's the woman. And the woman comes in, kills your buddy. You're assuredly next, but you don't know when it's going to happen. So you're stuck to this chair and just looking around. And this is all with the brand new experience of having this thing attached to my face, which yeah. is a little unsettling in itself. And then finally she appears in the place that you least expect her to, which is directly behind you with her hands over your eyes, over the headset, which, again, unsettling in itself. Uh, and then, naturally, I closed my eyes at one point, like the smart person I am, when uh, playing VR instead of, you know, ripping it off of my head. I thought <laughs> that I was being nice to the brand new headset. No, I did not do myself a favor in that, because then I opened my eyes, and this ghastly woman was right in front of me. Screaming ensued. It made for a really great video that I should t- definitely uh, post to Facebook sometime soon. Oh, yeah. But, probably uh, a few thousand views. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, definitely. That just, like, harkened back to, like, primal fears and, like, the very first times I'd ever played horror games and, like, actually got scared without knowing that I would get scared. It was, like, it felt like replaying the original jump scare. <laughs> like, the first one in my life all over again. It's that, like, issue of, like separating reality from the actual game. Yeah, it was because it was hard. Yeah, it's I'm not the screen Because I'm staring at anymore. this. I can't look away, literally. Yeah. Um, Jack, how about yours? Have you guys ever heard of a PS1 game called LSD? No, actually. All right, it's a weird collection. This Japanese guy, he made a dream journal for about two months and then made a game exploring those dreams. Hmm. It's not a horror game, oh, okay. sort of, but it has the most scary environments I've ever seen because they look like you're in an actual dream. There's fog everywhere. Mm -hmm. And the second you touch anything that isn't the ground, you're transported to a whole new environment. Oh, Oh, wow. Yeah, and the scary part, uh, what made it so scary for me is that the first few environments I encountered were absolutely barren, just rocks and trees. And then the next one I went into after touching some inexplicable object, um, there's just a man in shadow just following me throughout the whole Ooh. thing. Oh, and then <laughs> the the point where I t- turned the game off for the first time 
was when I walked towards the lamppost and then just a woman fell down and exploded. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> this game, it's... Again, it's not a horror game, but it's one of the most interesting experiences I've ever played. It's like unsettling, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Other than that, I tend to get scared by non-horror games a lot. <laughs> I mentioned that when I was a kid, uh, I couldn't beat the first boss of Super Mario Sunshine, mm-hmm. uh, Petey Piranha, I think, because I was too scared of him, so I had to have my friend do it for me. <laughs> okay. And then most I'm... recently, uh, the jump scare in Journey, where, oh, where yeah. the big rock snake comes out and gets you. Uh-huh. That got me real good. Huh. It's okay. I got scared by uh, the Nintendo 64 Zelda when I was little because of all the zombie or the zombie things that would pop out of the ground at night. To be fair, that game almost felt like a horror game. Yeah, so <laughs> a little bit. It was like really friendly and everything like that. And then you, uh, you know, you took the new sword and suddenly zombies <laughs> everywhere. everywhere. Um, so, Cora, why don't you uh, tell us about your favorite game or your favorite moment? Well, currently, because I... I've played a lot of different types of games. So I think my favorite game currently that would you know be considered horror is Until Dawn. Ooh, um, okay. This uh, butterfly effect game. It's sort of like a movie game, but it's I don't consider it a movie game because mm-hmm. you still, as a player, have a lot of choices and there's a lot of different outcomes and you get to control and walk around the environment. And like it's I like it because it plays upon a lot of the tropes of horror mm-hmm. and. Um, just the overall design of it and I just like that I could get immersed in it because um, mm-hmm. I don't actually get immersed in a lot of different games because I you know I'm like if I'm playing another type of genre I'm I know that I'm not actually a caveman running around right. Right. mammoths but um, in horror it's that weird thing where this could actually happen to me mm-hmm. <laughs> especially with until dawn i might go to a mountain and then obviously weird wendigos could come yeah. <laughs> right suddenly <laughs> wendigos yeah. yeah but i just i i love it because of the sound the design um how i can get immersed into it because you know you get immersed into horror movies mm-hmm. and i just like that there's this deeper immersion with it until dawn was a pretty good example of showing um it's that whole immersive effect it was more your choices actually matter. Whereas in a horror movie, you're kind of viewing it and watching like, this is what's unfolding to next to next with until dawn. It was just, you didn't really know they were gearing you up for something. Then mm-hmm. it just completely went a different route. Mm-hmm. And it's your fault. Yeah. It definitely yeah. makes you feel the effects of your, or the uh, yeah, repercussions of your choices. So I, I guess I'll do my own favorite moment. Um, so when I was a kid, my mom actually played a lot of horror games Probably not the, she's a great parent, probably not the best parenting tip was to let me watch her play games like uh, <laughs> the first Resident Evil and the first Silent Hill games. Mm, those so, are creepy. Yeah, <laughs> I actually, Silent Hill up until 4 is like my all-time favorite franchise. Silent Hill 2 sticks with me the most out of any game, but Silent Hill 3, there is a moment in it, and it's called the mannequin sequence. And you playing the uh, female protagonist walk into this room. It's pretty normal. There are mannequins everywhere, which is kind of just out of the blue and strange, but everything's quiet. Everything's normal. Everything's fine. You walk up to a mannequin. Oh, it's just a mannequin. Walk around the bend just a little bit to the other side of the shelf. Pick something up. You hear a scream. You go back. Mannequin head, head is gone, and there's just blood, and then you leave the room. It's just an utter moment of nothing actually jumps out or gets you. There's no fear of, like, losing or dying or anything of it it's just that unsettling moment that i remember watching it real late at night and from that moment on 
I haven't liked mannequins very, very much. <laughs> I mean, so you don't download games from Game Jolt a lot then? No, I do not. Yeah, because that seems to be, like, that's the biggest cliche in uh, indie horror now. It's just mannequins that move when you don't look. Uh, what was it? Um, well, yeah, they're doing the Weeping Angel thing from Doctor yeah. Who. Yeah. It made it real popular. It's a, like, don't blink game where it's like you, there's like a don't blink game where you literally are like, you have to keep watching this guy mm-hmm. as you're like edging around it. It's in VR, which is, so again, the immersion. Yeah. Is it called Don't Blink? Uh, uh, no, no, no. The, you're thinking of the video title that the people we watched oh, it. Oh, you're right. Uh, I'm not 100% sure what it is, but they look like creepy clown, like, con- I don't remember. What it head might be yeah. SCP Containment Breach. No, it it's not. the same style of game, okay. but it's like brand new release. I actually don't even oh, know if it's officially, officially released. Right. It's just an open environment. You got to get from point A to point B, and there's like six guys in the level that... And you get you can actually see them move, but they're fast, mm. and they crawl like upside down on their oh, backs and all twisted yeah. and contorted, like you know. They're very talented. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they give you that moment of the grudge feeling, uh. um, and you got to keep your eyes on them. So you got to corral them all up and try and work your way backwards out the level. Um, but yeah, that's really great. You guys actually have like a really distinct set of different kinds of games that have really stuck with you, um, and horror is kind of a weird genre compared to most games. It's technically a subgenre of action adventure games. Um, it focuses on things like uh, it, it focuses on emotion and it focuses on actual story building, but while providing you uh, certain key mechanics in order to actually accomplish that. But as a genre, it's kind of in conflict. Um, at, at the moment, it's kind of in conflict because it's been discussed like games, horror games as a recent don't really give you that chill. They don't really induce fear. To be fair, there has been a lot of like changes, like uh, PT. PT was honestly probably one of the scariest games that's mm, ever been probably. released. Did mm. you guys get actually a chance to ever play it? Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I was on I, that I never did. <laughs> so what made PT kind of like really unique was uh, it was not the audio. It wasn't anything like that. It was just the visual. It was a plain house, mm-hmm. um, and they used this kind of idea of ninety degree angles. And you just were walking in a box the whole time. Um, but it was the hyper-realism. It was just like you see a photograph and it's like, oh, I have a photograph on the shelf that looks just like that. Yeah. So I think the horror as it's going right now is starting to actually start using that realism. And you, you mentioned Until Dawn. Um, what do you guys think about actually using realistic visuals in games to really uh, induce fear or kind of give, make you feel immersed? Well, something I thought about PT, um, the narrow hallway... Mm-hmm. And that opens out into a place, a uh, front door with a chandelier. Yeah. I feel like they chose that. I mean, I can't speak on their behalf. Right. But it seems so common in modern house architecture uh-huh. that any player can go like, oh, I have something like this in my house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's so like you can immediately connect with it. Yeah. And that almost hypes up the fear a little bit. Right. Actually, it was really funny. The game came out and my parents were in the middle of renovating and we completely knocked out a hallway and we built one with that 90 degree angle. And they're like, hey, we put, there's a little like nightstand next to the door and everything like that that's got the clock and all that on it. And I was like, oh, great. I'm going to go down and you know, go go use the bathroom and something's going to be like, don't look or don't turn around as I'm playing through the game. (laughs) Um, What do you guys think about visuals, like especially hyper-realism? I feel like hyper-realism definitely does make uh, the player connect, like Jack said. I feel like, like going back to until dawn like that realism of like the whole situation of like um doing something that 
anybody could do or having something in the game that anybody could have like the chandelier or the like normal type of architecture it really does hype up levels of fear because oh my gosh this could this could happen to me because i'm in like exact same settings and like i know for me that definitely makes me feel more afraid because i'm weird but (laughs) if i see something that um I'm, I recognize or I know about, then I'm more wary of it because I like hyper-realism. I like yeah. getting scared. So. Right. I'm a little conflicted about uh, hyper-realism because, like, yes, especially in games like PT where it takes place in a house, that definitely benefits from hyper-realism because it's like, this is a house. I live in a house. This could happen to me. Um, versus games that take place in, like, entirely other places like... Uh, maybe even until dawn or like uh, Outlast, and it's mm-hmm. like I'm never going to go to an asylum. Hopefully, uh, at any point, you never uh, know. I yeah, never, you yeah, never know. Here I am. Yeah. Just uh, let this be record for future occurrences. Uh, but uh, <laughs> so that that's never going to happen to me. So I think that maybe it benefits more from like more darkness and mm-hmm. like the unknown in the corners of the room versus being able to be like. I see there's a coffee mug over there. I see the pattern in the carpet. Um, I think leaving more to the imagination helps yes. uh, in horror games, but I do think that stuff in familiar places definitely benefits from being as real as possible. I feel like there's a subgenre of hyperrealism and then the leaving to the imagination horror. Like there's certain horrors that if it's more hyperrealistic, then it bumps up the edge, but if it's not as hyperrealistic, then it bumps up the edge. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I think it comes down a little bit to personal tastes. Um, PT was a really a pretty scary game to me. I don't know if I'm going to really call it more fear-inducing because it didn't stay with me afterward. I mean, as be- much as, like, Silent Hill 2 was, is hands down the scariest game and most fear-inducing game I've ever played because it was the fog as a whole because you didn't know what laid in front of you. It was kind of like stuff was left up to your imagination, things like that. And that was actually just an issue with technology at the time. You couldn't render all of Silent Hill, and that was a happy occurrence that the fog was a good mechanic because you didn't know what was fully there, and it was more like, uh, I, I guess it was more like being more wary that something could happen. You, it was something was out of place almost at all times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas PT, you were really just watching out for yeah, you, you get, Lisa. Yeah, you get so familiar with the hallway itself. It's just like, how is it going to change how what's going to happen yeah. uh, differently this time. But that gets into the idea of the uncanny effect with horror games. And I don't know if you guys know much about the uncanny effect, but uncanny is just where you you walk into a room or it's something that you're like comfortable with or you see something you're normally like accustomed to, but something's off. And you can't quite tell what is off, but something is off and it's making you tense and it's making you nervous. And it's like, it's... For some reason, like in children, animatronics, we always used to think animatronics was a good way to get children to see and learn things. But it turned out children weren't doing, like children weren't learning a lot. They were actually scared of the animatronics more than they weren't um, because they, they're they shaped to be like humans, but they're not. And it's uncomfortable and it's it causes them to actually have nightmares and fears based on that. So I think for visuals, the uncanny is almost like a really important incorporation that a lot of designers can use. Well, if we want to jump right into uh, Five Nights at Freddy's, as I think you were alluding to, Go in, for terms it. Of, in terms of Uncanny, 
Um, in the Five Nights at Freddy series, it progressively gets less realistic in terms of animatronic design. Mm-hmm. The first game has the most, well, the first and second have the most like sweetest and playful animatronics, and that makes it scarier. Mm-hmm. But in the fourth game, they all have like nightmare teeth and blood yeah. coming from them. It's like, ah, I've seen it. Yeah, at that it's, point, we're, we're really accustomed to like, yeah. oh, yeah, sharp teeth, whatever, you exactly. know, have you. It's the things that, the things that go bump in the night and are nightmares are more the stuff that is almost correct, but just kind of slightly off. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of games back in like the 90s and the early 2000s used that to get that psychological horror going. Um, but I don't know. What do you guys think about just kind of using real life like objects and kind of how much influence could that be on the actual vis- visuals of designing a horror game or how important do you really think it is? I don't think it's too important. No. I mean, it can help, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're a, a huge studio who has the budget to make these yeah. really detailed graphics. But some really scary things come out of the indie scene. Yeah. Which is like, um, I don't remember the name of the game, but I do recall playing something that was like a first-person pixelated type game. Mm-hmm. And the monster in the game was one of the scariest design things and might have been eight pixels. Yeah. It was the whole thing. You know what? There are actually quite a bit of pixel games, I think, that can actually use this, too. Um, because, I don't know, when I play them, I actually associate things in the pixels. Like, it's like, oh, that's supposed to be that. That's a person. That's a person with their arm dislocated. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of, yeah. it, it, it causes me to kind of be, uh, it reminds me later about it. Um, but I want to hear what you guys think about actually creating those visuals that linger. Like, not jump scares, but visuals. Like, what gets to you the most, like, visually? Something I've never seen before yeah. tends to, um, it happens to me a lot in point and click games, yeah. especially the darker ones. My favorite one, I have no mouth and I must scream. Um, very early on, you are playing as uh, a German doctor mm-hmm. and there's a point where you have to extract the eyes from a barely oh. living patient on a table. And just like taking the eyes from the patient and then talking to him Mm. because he's still completely conscious. It's like, can you please give me my eyes back? That's something, Uh, the image of that, because it does show it, is something I will never see in my life Mm -hmm. except in a game. And that's why I think it sticks with me so much. What do you guys think? Um, A visual in a game that stuck with me was Corpse Party. Yeah, Corpse Party. Um, I watched Cry cry play it on youtube and cryotic yeah cryotic or cryotic Mm -hmm. i I don't know um and just like the visual of just children going crazy or like uh trying to kill each other just doing things that that were out of the ordinary and a particular picture that really hit me because like most of the game was in like the pixelated form and sometimes they would have the manga art art in there was when this girl opened up this bathroom stall and it went from the pixel to literally seeing her hanging and Mm -hmm. like foam coming from her mouth and I feel like when you like for certain aspects the visuals important because it wouldn't have been as effective had it remained pixelated had it remained pixelated I would have been like oh okay she's she's hanging Mm -hmm. but then it went from pixelated to like complete colorful manga art mm-hmm. and it like you got you got to see everything and it uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was that the only instance of that kind of art in the game though um no not the only instance okay. just the one particular instance that that i first saw that mm-hmm. that really like got me to see how the game would progress like mm-hmm. visually and uh, audio 
It was one of those uh, RPG Maker games, mm-hmm. one of those RPG Maker horror games, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of those games actually use like shocking moments to just put in pictures, like drawings or things like that, to give it more uh, more feeling horror on what's going on. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember if it actually showed. I think it did. There was one that came out that was I don't know if it was the same creator, but it was called The Crooked Man. And, yes, and yeah, I, know I know that. Pretty one. much all it was is it was a guy who could still walk around, but his neck was stretched out and hanging over because he was obviously hung, and he follows you around. But when you first see him, uh, just the visual of the man himself was—it uh, wasn't the audio, it wasn't anything about like the actual story of the character. It was just he was just there, and his head was hanging. But you see like a picture of him drawn like that. Yeah. That was that was actually pretty creepy. Yeah. Um, for me, it's, like, more along the lines of, like, the uncanny that you were talking about earlier. It's the little subtle things that my mind fills in more about what happened here than what uh, is actually explained as to what happened here. Mm-hmm. Like, um, at one point um, in Neverending Nightmares, you oh. go into the bathroom, and uh, it's black and white the whole time except when there's blood. So that's the one mm. uh, color that you see is a lurid, lurid red and there's blood in the sink, and you look, and there's teeth. And there's never any real necessary explanation as to why (laughs) there's teeth there. They're very much not baby teeth, but uh, that just sticks with me because then my mind is like, what exactly happened? There's so many different things that could have happened, and each is equally more terrifying. Do you think that makes it scarier that they don't explicitly tell you what happens, but maybe there's clues in the in other rooms that will imply why there's teeth in the sink? Right, yeah. I really like it when narratives do the show-don't-tell for the most part, right. um, especially when it comes to subtle, gory things. Mm-hmm. Like, I would much rather a game have the hint at, like, someone was disemboweled here than showing me that Mm -hmm. because then I feel like eventually I'm going to get desensitized to that. I'd rather the small hint of like, there's a splattering of blood here. What could have happened? Well, Never Any Nightmares was that is a shock value game almost. Oh yeah. First of all, the visuals of that game, and I don't know if you you guys have seen it or the listeners have seen Mm -hmm. it, but it's it's all hand-drawn. And the shadows are, what, what's that term called when it's like uh, cross-hatched? Or cross-hatching, Cross-hatching. Yeah. And everything's like hand-drawn, but it's just like black and white. It's monochromatic until like something of importance shows up or something just, something off is there. Like red is very prominent. So you see the teeth in the sink and they're just, there's bloody teeth in the sink. You are in the basement and you grab the axe and suddenly you're in the dark. It just pans to a scene of your character pulling out his veins. I remember that. Scene. Oh, yeah. 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 And it's it's like it's not it's just like just suddenly it happens. And it's just like this these very bright, colorful, bloody moments that happen. But in a game that's more monochromatic and uh, I don't know, not stale, but yeah, simple. It's, it's almost. interesting because it's drawn in a style that people who are into horror things are familiar with. It's drawn in the Edward Gorey style. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, there's, I forget what it's called, but there's that really famous uh, book that he wrote that's the ABCs, except it's by different people's names and how they died. Um, It was kind of, it was definitely, uh, Tim Burton was inspired by Edward Gorey, for sure. Uh, They have very similar styles. So just associating that with this kid walking around at night um, in his pajamas, which I think we can all sympathize with at one point in our lives. Yeah. Except for the mansion part, maybe. I don't know. I'm not going to judge how people grew up. But ne- ne- uh, <laughs> Never been hand-drawn in a mansion myself. Never been hand-drawn in a mm. mansion, right. But uh, So he's walking around, and you're not sure what he's exactly trying to figure out. You have an inkling of it, 
but it's just this continually uh, exploratory game, and you really don't know what's around the next corner. Because guess what? Ninety degree angles. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, ninety degree angles are actually one of the most like popular level designs for yeah. horror. Geometry's horrifying. Though. Yeah, it yeah. is. Well, you you've got two choices. You can either go forward. Actually, m- normally one choice, because if you try and go back, you're just going to hit a locked door or you're going to hit an empty space where you can't go back because there's either a monster chasing you or anything. Mm-hmm. You just got to hit the corner, but you know something's there. And that's a pretty popular or like actual design for games lately, especially yeah. horror. That's like, a, that was one genius about PT, uh, quickly going back to it, yeah. is that they tend to uh, train you that the scares just around the corner mm-hmm. and as soon as you start getting used to that then the ghost it's lisa right that's the yeah her name's name is lisa she can appear behind you eventually after enough cycles if you wait there she'll start to appear behind you yeah and actually with the 90 degrees the thing is is that you have to see everything um when you're panning around so no matter where she is you're gonna see her because sometimes she's in the window yeah, right and, there, gosh, yeah. Um, up on the balcony. Up on the balcony. Which that, that one's a little more hidden. That's like yeah. a yeah. That's more like an Easter egg in the horror, but it's mm. still creepy. Um, yeah. That actually goes into the only to know that she's up on the balcony was an audio cue, and PT had the audio cues more with uh, um, the turn or don't turn around or turn yeah. around or the radio kind of being there and things mm. like that. Um, but while visuals are important and like visuals are usually for shock value and they're there for like getting you acquainted or just kind of like showing you everything i think audio is honestly probably the most important or maybe like at least one of the most important elements for a horror game audio gets me a little bit more than visual Mm -hmm. because um it just it it's more subtle and sometimes you don't hear it right away and then all of a sudden when you pick up on it Mm -hmm. that's all you can hear even if you don't hear it you just start hearing things after you've heard it heard it a couple times yeah Mm -hmm. which is awesome and then also it becomes almost like a pavlovian thing um if you've played the game long enough like uh, in amnesia the dark descent mm-hmm. once you hear that monster growl you're like oh no yeah <laughs> and you immediately like after a while you you'll start freaking out like worrying like where is it i don't mm-hmm. see it i need to hide somewhere and mm-hmm. oh I, I hate audio cues sometimes yeah. yeah actually i mean audio gets me just about the same um the original Resident Evil's Resident Evil's kind of a weird genre. It's like horror, but it's not really. It's like uh, action horror. It's like oh, you can just shoot the zombies down. But the original, like few, you didn't have the control of the cameras, and so you would enter a room and you heard like shackles hitting the wall, or you would hear growling, or you would hear something, but you couldn't see it, and that was pretty uh, terrifying in its own right, just because it's like it's in the room with me, but if I go forward, the camera angle will change and it might be right in front of me. Yeah. That's actually one of my notes about Resident Evil in general. I played it for the first time mm-hmm. to prepare for this podcast, yeah. uh, free on PS Plus. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I want to say it was a limitation of the media at the time mm-hmm. that they had to choose those static camera angles. Mm-hmm. But it's almost ingenious in the fact that they can frame a shot exactly the way they need to yeah. so that you can see something. Like, in 3D horror games, there's always that uh, possibility that you will miss the scare, mm-hmm. well, at least the visual aspect, the audio aspect. That, that's why I think audio becomes more important when you yeah. add another dimension on top of, the, on top of it. So um, a good example in Resident Evil, the original, is that when you run past the windows and then the dog. Yeah. If you were in first-person view, you would hear it, but you wouldn't see it. Mm-hmm. But the way the shot is framed, you see it and it's closer to you, the player, rather than mm-hmm. you, the character player. Yeah. 
that is actually like hands down one of the scariest moments in a game I've ever had because it was shot in a way that it's like it was the focal point on the screen. Mm -hmm. But even back then, the audio was set up to be like the audio balanced out. It's like way louder than anything going on. And the dog itself is not very scary. But that that just that cue that I'm in danger was just, uh, I don't know, fright inducing as a child. I also appreciate audio a lot more in horror games. just because they add that extra level. Mm-hmm. And again, sometimes in certain games, uh, you might not see the scare, but you can still hear it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's always the part that gets me is that sometimes it's like not scary at all. A bird flew up or something. <laughs> uh, but when you hear like the music matching it or the sound matching it, it's like that's what gets you. Um, and I think that's a huge consideration uh, in horror games. Along with that, though, I think white noise and like Mm -hmm. the background noise Mm -hmm. in general is super important if there's like a soundtrack usually that takes away from it uh for me uh but if it's just you're in silence there's like just the typical white noise that you would hear in a non-soundproof room unlike Mm -hmm. this one uh and you're left with kind of your own thoughts and you're filling in like what could that noise have been? Yeah. Um, and it makes you much more attuned to when uh, there's a subtle sound or like breathing. Breathing is what gets me so breathing. bad. Oh, my yeah. God. Or footsteps. Oh, footsteps. Even, even if they're your own mm-hmm. and they're just super loud in the game and you start focusing on that and then you start hearing things within the sound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you're aware of like how loud you are if you're like mm-hmm. trying to hide from something. Mm-hmm. I, I think especially when the sounds are distant. Yeah, you those can, background yeah, sounds. You can hear them, but you cannot be 100% sure what they are. It could just be, oh, there's a TV on in the background and it's making yeah. static. Or that could be a crazy monster that just roared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can never know until you actually face what is producing the sound. Especially with like a lot of modern horror games, they've been doing those open space kind of designs. And mm-hmm. the background noises are oftentimes echoes. So you can't quite tell where they're coming from either. And yeah. that makes you much more paranoid like... Which way do I need to be facing? What do I need to get do? If I go this way, is it going to be that way? Um, Outlast is a pretty good example for when the big guy, and I don't remember his name. Chris says, Walker. Chris, Chris Walker? Yeah, Chris Walker. Okay. He <laughs> yeah, he I didn't know name. he had a name. He had a, I thought he was just the big guy that was trying I, to I know he's you. the one that calls you Little Piggy. Yeah, his name is You'll Chris Walker. <laughs> I read his file. Oh, <laughs> I, okay. I have... I really like Outlast, okay? Oh, oh, well, I might tear into it a little bit later. But... No, no, do it. It deserves it. That's why I'm I'm waiting for the next one. Oh, seeing that okay. they improve. Yeah, well, isn't two coming don't out Don't worry, soon? it's more of the same. Yeah, it's more of the same. Yeah, the only I'll, difference is I'll that Daly and I both live out in the country, and we live, like, in the middle of, like, the cornfields and things like that. Oh. So, yeah. So Watch children of... Satanic <laughs> rituals, man, they'll get you. Seriously. Right? Children you know, of the like, corn I, might actually happen. Yeah. I mean, the Upside Down Cross. I mean, come on. You see those huh. out in the cornfield all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, no, like, audio is just oh, a terrifying experience. It's the ambience. It's The visuals can set the scene, but the audio is what sets the ambience. And you talked about uh, the quietness, the, yeah. the silence. White noise. White noise. noise. Whatever you want to call it. I love Silent Hill 2 and Silent Hill 3 just because of the rooms. Just because it'll just be instantly like that. And it's terrifying. It's like honestly one of the most lasting experiences because then when I was a kid and I would just be in a room and I'd be walking or playing the game or watching my mom play the game. It'd be nighttime. Living in the country, (laughs) it gets real quiet real fast. And then you hear something. And then you start running about, like, what could it be? <laughs> Are the nurses outside? What is going on? Like, yes, it's knock, a, knock. No. no. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Knocking, that too. Scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, but another thing about it is uh, just that audio is kind of this cue for uh, the anticipation. Um, I think horror games are designed pretty much exclusively, or w- one of the big things they're designed around is anticipation, mm-hmm. um, creating anticipation, which is uh, when a player is playing a game, you know something's going to happen. You just don't know when it's going to happen. And I think that anticipation is one of the most important factors, and audio is probably the most, or this is just my opinion, and I want to hear what you guys think, but I think audio is the most important like key element to creating anticipation. And it also creates a lot of different emotions, too. Like, it, it pulls from you that anxiety and that anticipation, especially when you happen to be hiding from something, like an mm-hmm. outlast or in, like, alien isolation or in amnesia. Mm-hmm. Um, there's almost, like, music cues that happen when you're there. Or you or in uh, alien isolation, you even hear yourself breathing mm-hmm. um, and as you're sitting there. And it's it pairs with the visuals really well because you hear the footsteps or you hear the sounds of them looking for you. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes, most of the time, you can see out. And it's just so anxiety and nerve-wracking when you, you're peering out of these little holes and you just see them in front of you. And, mm-hmm. like, the, the music gets louder, your breathing will get louder, and then you as a player, you're shaking. And, uh, and I feel like <laughs> audio is just, it's just really important. Yeah. Well, and with the anticipation, I mean, it's kind of one of the driving factors because it works into narrative, too. So I think that while audio and visual, they pair really well together, most of the time when you're playing a horror game, you're not playing just to get scared. Or some people are, but a lot of time something's guiding you or something's wanting you to go forward. Yeah, YouTube um, revenue. Huh? YouTube revenue. <laughs> yeah. YouTube revenu- revenue. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that one's probably true. But uh, for us, you know, casual players, uh, I play horror games for the story. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Me too. Stories are super important for me. Yeah. 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 I think the horror genre has honestly got some of the best stories of video games I've ever played. I mean, they kind of impact you on a different level than mm. an action adventure game. But on the flip side... It can have the worst story this presentation. Is true. This is true. Played. I most horror games I've played, there is a system where I pick up a note, I read a thing, put it back down, next note. Yeah. And that's the story. Yeah. yeah. Like all the background lore in some of the Resident Evil games is done through mm-hmm. just picking up a note. That's the worst part of amnesia. Yeah. Especially in uh, the second game, Machine for Pigs, that mm-hmm. has a very weak story, mm-hmm. and even the title kind of gives it away. Like it's yeah. it's all a yeah. big metaphor. Yeah. And like. You brought up Until Dawn earlier, and I think Until Dawn is honestly, like, a modern style, like, it's a modern, like, depiction of deconstructing, like, horror game stories, Mm because you talked about the tropes and all that, but one of the biggest things that horror games are designed with is this idea that you can, like, uh, you're predicting what the story is going to be, you're predicting Mm -hmm. what's going to happen, and then do a complete 180 on you. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I had no idea Outlast was going to be a supernatural experience yeah okay again about outlast <laughs> so yeah disclaimer i have no idea like what the story is exactly i <laughs> i still am like trying to decipher that mm-hmm. to this day but i think that uh one of the benefits of um using horror elements is that it sometimes it doesn't need to explain itself entirely it's just like yes we are in an asylum something crazy will probably happen mm-hmm. um somehow and, there's a ghost involved yeah somehow it, somehow <laughs> yeah but again suspension of disbelief we forgive it for that because it uh presents itself well uh maybe not presents what exactly is going on but you get scared either mm-hmm. way yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of older horror games, too, like, really focused on just using the narrative as, like, a pacing technique to kind of keep you interested. 
you would have one really big scare and then a very yeah. calm and then another really big scare and then a calm. Um, a lot of those earlier point and click games um, would have like a moment of just kind of disbelief that something happened. Phantasmagoria is a series that just mm-hmm. used this all the time. Um, uh, even Resident Evil to a point. It yeah. leaked a lot of Resident Evil clones. Mm-hmm. Uh, one spe- uh, specific that I'm pretty sure came after Resident Evil is called Martian Gothic. I don't where know that it one. was pretty much the whole story was leading up to this one big scare. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're basically in a, uh, a space station on Mars and oh. bad stuff happens. Dead yeah. space before EA got hold right, of it. Right, right, right. Wow. And the end scare, spoiler for anyone wants to play a 20-year-old game, yeah. you probably can't even run or find, <laughs> um, is that there's a giant Cthulhu-esque monster mm-hmm. under inside Mars, yeah. in an Acropolis inside Mars that is coming for you. And so, the whole game is just leading up to that moment. It's hinted at from the very beginning. So it's got like that whole Lovecraftian kind of style. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, very much a cosmic horror. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I actually might have to check that one out because horror games don't often do Cthulhu or Lovecraft very, very well. Um, there was one that came out a few years ago called Call of Cthulhu, and it was about a group of like thugs or something like that. The story basically was a group of thugs, you're a cop, break in, stop the thugs. Turns out thugs are cult for Cthulhu. That's the story. So that's cool, actually. I might want to check that one out a little bit more. Um, but you, the Resident Evil games are known for their stories. Yeah. And um, another story I really like that's kind of creepy. Um, they're like sort of like some of them are Magical Girl, but one particular one that's like sort of connected to the Clock Tower series um, mm-hmm. is Haunting Ground. Mm-hmm. It was released by Capcom in 2005. And basically the story is you're this girl who you later find out is fiona and you're like in the basement of this castle and there's this weird disfigured guy and he'll he'll chase you throughout and basically the game is figuring out where you are what happened to you because you sort of get memories back you sort of figure out where you are Mm -hmm. and then basically it's one of those like fighting against not getting like sucked into some supernatural weird thing and and like the story is more in depth than what I'm paraphrasing right. it as, um, and I haven't played it in a really long time. But it's it's that creepy effect of like you'll be exploring this world, figuring out puzzles, figuring out where exactly you are, and then all of a sudden this weird, almost like uh, hunchback of Notre Dame guy comes running <laughs> after you, like oh my god, like mm-hmm. you think he's gonna eat you or hurt you because in the beginning of the game, you know, of course he's stereotypically in front of a pot and you're in this weird cage Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but it was it was a visually like visually and audio wise very appealing game as well as the story because you discovered everything along with the main character Mm -hmm. a lot of these older games like that well i mean it's not too old but like um did you guys ever play fatal frame yes no fatal frame's (laughs) like probably one of the worst or not worst as in like terrible worst as in like well you can um, be honest it's fine no, I actually like <laughs> Fatal Frame. I, Fatal Frame 2, sorry. Fatal Frame 2. Fatal Frame the other ones. Right, I don't now like we're them. talking. Yeah, <laughs> Fatal Frame 3, 2. Uh, because A, audios, because audio cues were kind of how you were told. Mm-hmm. Um, visuals, because things seem normal, and then it's like, wait, let me pull up my, what was it, Camera Obscura or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And Ghost. And it was Creepy Ghost, but the story was like, that was actually one of the best stories of a video game I think I've ever yeah. played. And the whole time I was trying to get through it without uh, um, crying like a sissy. Oh, no. <laughs> no, yeah. No. Fatal Frame is yeah. a very emotional game. Yeah. I would call it, uh, it is a horror game, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily try to scare you too much because 
almost from the outset, it gives you a way to defend yourself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and almost no way for the enemy ghosts to counteract that. Yeah. I mean, it's not one where it focuses on that idea of disempowerment, like mm-hmm. Outlast and, all, and Amnesia and all those do. It's one of those ones that's like, okay, you know how to fight them. Yeah. But there's a reason why they exist, and you're kind of learning why. And I'm not going to actually disclose like the information about the game. My recommendation is that anybody who hasn't played Fatal Frame 2, go play it. Because that's mm-hmm. like almost a true kind of... It's it's a true horror experience in that it's audio-visual... It's visually and audio-wise like magnificent with just a really nice story to put on top of it. Um, but audio and visual and narrative are just some of the quali- like qualitative like elements of games and how they're designed. But the problem I have with the horror game industry is the quantitative uh, amount of games that have been pumped out recently. Mm-hmm. So when it came out, it was like Resident Evil and Silent Hill and Fatal Frame and point-and-click games. They were all like kind of sp- scarce, but when they came out, it was a big deal because it was like, this is a scary game. Yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of bad ones recently. Oh, and of course. unbelievable amount of them recently. Like. Yeah. I blame YouTube. Yeah. YouTube is like actually, I don't know. Like all horror games are marketed through YouTube now. Yeah. Because it's like, <laughs> oh, let's play uh, Jump Scare Simulator 2000. Like it's, I mean, people <laughs> you, are going to click on that. You forgot to say it was in all caps though. Oh yeah. All caps. Sure. Let's play Jump Scare 2000. Like scariest game of- ever. Ever with yeah. like a bunch of weird parentheses and weird symbols, parentheses yeah, and big face on the yeah, big thumbnail. old face, big old face yeah. screaming with I mean, random and then monster comes pick that you the see once. Jump scare compilations. I mean, it's it's definitely Any animations. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna click from on the that. Game company in the mail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna click on that, and I think that a lot of people are like, yes, I'm going to click on that. So then, uh, game producers, game uh, developers are going to be like. Yeah, we need to get on this because uh, A, that YouTube money, and B, (laughs) that is like, horror games are one of the easiest things to be like, hey, we should play this game together. Um, I feel like people are a lot more receptive to like, I'm going to sit and watch you play this game because I'm too scared to play this game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a much more social thing than maybe some other games that don't have uh, multiplayer options. That's exactly what I think is why it's such a big thing. Because I I think, and this is just coming in, we're... um, from my point of view so I'm too scared to play a lot of horror games by mm-hmm. myself Yeah, but I will watch this man play it <laughs> and I'm just gonna pretend I'm with him yeah <laughs> yeah, right next exactly. to each other being like watch out for that thing yeah <laughs> so I can look in the comments section it's like oh jump scare at 343 oh you're about to get spooked dude <laughs> watch out it's coming yeah, for you it's, it's an interactive experience even mm-hmm. if you're just watching a let's play Although sometimes you don't get as scared. Like when I would watch Cry play uh, Amnesia, <laughs> I would be like, oh, this isn't scary. And then I actually played it and it was really scary because yeah. it's so different when you actually play and you're in control mm-hmm. than when you just watch someone play it. Yeah, seriously. And like um, a lot of these. So with the history of horror games, like they got popular in the 90s and then they grew and then they died. Like They were dead for like almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, Amnesia was the, I will call it the renaissance of horror. It It is the rebirth of horror in a way. And Amnesia is not a, it's an okay looking game. Mm-hmm. It sounds okay. It's not, the story's not that strong. Mm-mm. But sit down and play it for a few hours. And it's that lingering effect that it has. It's that, oh, wait, that, 
I, I, it's that the lighting is weird and that something's off and that something's coming to get you. At any moment while I'm doing this puzzle, I could hear that weird monster growl and I'll yeah. have to run and find some place mm-hmm. to hide. Yeah. Because you can't fight. You literally just run. Yeah, and that's kind of a, one of the big elements of horror games, I think, that make a good horror game, a fear-inducing horror game. Because there's one thing to be scared from a game. It's like, oh, you got me. Oh, all right, keep continuing. Or like, <laughs> okay, I'll just put the controller down. I'm done. And then games that are fear, like uh, fear-inducing, like, oh, you got me. I need to turn a nightlight on tonight, or yeah. <laughs> uh, make sure the closet door is closed, or yeah. 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 Um, and Amnesia was a really good example of one of those games. It is very difficult uh, to pull that off. Um, in the beginning, in Amnesia, it's just you and the monster. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about puzzles. Mm-hmm. But once you get used to the monster, that's when they start adding the puzzles onto it. So you feel rushed in the puzzle, and that's. N- kind of what scares you mm-hmm. not necessarily there's a monster there is that if you don't get this puzzle done in time you're dead yeah so it comes from the fear of the unknown to the fear of the loss of your state right? yeah and like amnesia is really weird about it too because the monster didn't show up for like 30 minutes into the game or something like that you played just walking through like this mansion or whatever it was called yeah i mean there were scares like, yeah it was jump like, scares of stuff opening yeah and the bucket around. fell or something like yeah, that yeah. but there wasn't like it was just an atmosphere. It was an atmosphere effect. It wasn't a threat. It wasn't. And it it's kind of a almost a special experience because I haven't really encountered something like amnesia since Mm-mm. the golden age of horror back in the 90s. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk about Resident Evil a little more. Right. Um, so Resident Evil was the birth of the golden age of horror back in the 90s. Like 96, it, the first one came out. Um, the mansion effect and then two came out in Silent Hill... Uh, followed the formula and Fatal Frame followed the formula. But with Resident Evil, it was about visceral things. It was more like classical B-movie style horror, like zombies. That was that was it, like yeah. zombies and zombie dogs. Um, what do you guys think of the state of Resident Evil as it changed over time from being a horror game to an action game? Like, I don't know if you guys have played Resident Evil 5 or 6. I have, yeah. Those are like the farthest thing from horror, honestly, in my experience. I think it came from, I don't think it was a conscious decision. No. I think it came from them trying something new with Mm -hmm. Resident Evil 4 and being successful. Yeah. I don't think it had anything to do with the state of the genre, the death of horror in that, uh, you know, that period of time. It was, it was just a a safe decision by the company. Yeah. I think what happened, I I think. Action games kind of became really prevalent in that time. I mean, everybody was waiting for the next Halo. Like, oh, where's our next shooter game? And we're still in that period now. Yeah. And it was more like, well, we're not going to dish out tons of money on a game that might not scare everybody. Right. I almost feel like fear became more subjective over recent years. Like, What do you mean? What scares you does not necessarily scare me. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm creeped out by the thing that I can't see and I might not ever see. Whereas somebody else might be creeped out by the grotesque monster in front of them, and that might do that. And I think the Golden Age was really this good time where people were experimenting with what is something that everybody is scared of, or what is a game where we can make something that there's a little bit of everything for everybody. That, and I feel like recently um, gamers are just really hard to please. Like, no matter what you do in any genre, but mostly 
combat oriented that sort of delves into horror mm-hmm. as well you can't please anybody like if you can't do certain actions and uh, the mechanics of the game then it's it's awful it's not scary or if there's not that visual aspect with the mechanics and the combat and i think that's where resident evil was going for was that they were trying to put in this new mechanic of like being able to shoot everything and like doing the combat because of the first person shooters they wanted i think they wanted to be on a level playing field while also still being scary which does beg the question of like is it actually you know a combat with scary thing like combat action with scary things mm-hmm. or is it a horror with combat right yeah that's my biggest thing with the resident evil series is that like you have guns you can shoot things mm-hmm. that makes it so much less scary to mm-hmm. begin with but in the earlier games you're scrambling to find ammo at yeah. all times or even save points um mm-hmm. those ink ribbons man you know but... i'm i'm playing through resident <laughs> evil one and zero right now like the prequel one that came out for the gamecube yeah. and i'm having the hardest time with just saving that's my biggest fear from those games really? is well, on those games, the saving mechanic, there's a mechanic for saving. You can't just save the game or you can't just... It's the just... typewriter, right? It yeah, was... it's the typewriter. But you have to have, like, ink ribbon in order to save. You have to find yeah. a little item in order to go to the save point and save your game. And all the while, you might die from something while trying to oh, find the item. Yeah, it's just, it's just that idea of disempowerment. And I think that when they got more and more combat-oriented, it lost that because it's like, why should I be afraid when I can just cut through all these monsters with a machine gun, etc., mm-hmm. versus uh, I have a very limited amount of bullets and I need to use them wisely. I hope that something doesn't jump out and make me waste half of them. That's what I uh, noticed, too, is that there were more stakes in, like, the golden age of horror games. Yeah. Like, you, you had to conserve ammo or you had to conserve, you know, your supplies and you didn't just waste them or you didn't have unlimited ammo like on a machine gun yeah like the scariest thing about uh a rush of blood which is the until dawn vr game um and that should have been the scariest game that i have ever played but it's not because Mm -hmm. i had guns uh the only time i got really panicked is when i was running out of ammo Mm -hmm. um but otherwise you know creepy clowns i'm gonna shoot you 16 Mm -hmm. times and that's fine Mm -hmm. fun Uh, fact clowns weak to bullets yeah. yeah, apparently so. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so because I, uh, if I didn't have that and they were just coming at me, that's terrifying. Whenever mm-hmm. I ran out of ammo, that was the scariest moment. But having the ability to fight back, I feel like, takes so much away from being scared. Um, yeah. We really need to have that element of helplessness in uh, good horror games. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that is strictly a horror element. It's called, dis- it's just disempowerment. And... There was the moment where it was just like, okay, we can always make them fight back, and it's still scary. I mean, Dead Space is a very, very scary game. Oh, mm-hmm. yes. It's so creepy looking. But Isaac Clarke feels like the ultimate, like, badass almost because of the way he is able to fight everything. Mm-hmm. And, like, while the, what were they called? Ne- Necromorphs? Necromorphs. Necromorphs, yeah. Yep. yeah. It's been a while. But uh, while the Necromorphs were creepy and, like, the environment was creepy, Dead Space didn't give me that lasting fear that's, like, Oh God, I am in trouble all the time. I mean, it was a little tough. There was like issues with like disempowerment, but the golden age was like amazing for making you feel almost useless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like in Dead Space, you were like, "Well, I have this huge gun, and I can find ammo on this this spaceship that I was on, so right, I don't, I don't yeah. need yeah. to like in yeah. a suit in yeah. a suit of like glowing armor." And it's like yeah. I don't need to worry that much. I feel like. Um, 
a thing that they could have done with Dead Space was sort of disempower you from the very beginning of like, oh, well, I have to go find the glowy armor. Or I have to go mm-hmm. find the, the big weird gun. And mm-hmm. I almost imagine like, yeah, that would probably change the game a lot. But that disempowerment... I, d- I didn't really get that feel from Dead Space. The thing with Dead Space was that you're Isaac Clark, the engineer, but suddenly you're Isaac Clark who knows how to fight things like really well. Yeah. He knows how to use his, what was it, a bolt gun or something like that really well. Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Plasma cutter. Plasma cutter, yeah, uh, that's it. One of the big failures, I think, with Dead Space, and what I like a lot about certain horror games is I have no idea where I'm going, mm-hmm. but I'm going to find my way eventually because, you know, law of large numbers. Yeah. Um, but Dead Space, press a button, there's an arrow. Yeah. Go that way. Yeah. Um, That's almost like a way that modern games are easier than classical games. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's also like technology limitations back in the day made games scarier because you couldn't do certain things with the tech. But like Dead Space was creepy. And I mean, I think when I've I've streamed it before and there's a moment of me like (laughs) jumping and screaming or something like that. But I can't sit here now and be like a necromorph might get me in my sleep. (laughs) It slowly became a power fantasy. Almost, yeah. yeah. Especially no. with um, successive iterations of the game. Yeah, like Dead Space 3 was hands down like one of the most like run-and-gun games I think I've ever <laughs> That's played. That's kind of what horror has kind of yeah. become. Because like you said, we're in the age of action-adventure now, yeah. which a big part of it is power fantasy. Yeah. There was a game, though, uh, the Fear series. Mm -hmm. Um, That one actually got me a little bit, even though I didn't really feel disempowered a lot Mm -hmm. uh, in Fear 2. Now, I didn't finish the game because I just wasn't interested in the story. Mm -hmm. It wasn't very story heavy. And I didn't. It it was. It was like a dual kind of game. It was like, you're here, something weird's happening, but you got to kill these people or beings. I don't remember what it was. But oh, yeah, there's a side story of this little girl chasing you, and suddenly you're climbing up a ladder and she's there. Yeah, and like I, like I liked it. I sometimes it would scare me with just like you know the fact that these things would be coming at me and I'd have to shoot them and it'd be in mm-hmm. the dark and I couldn't see. But after a while, it was like, oh, there's another one in the dark and I yeah. gotta shoot it. And oh, hey, look, there's a girl. It, it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a girl. Um, also a girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you were almost like um, you became like accustomed to it almost, mm-hmm. and that was fear is. A, the first one's pretty good about, like, dark spaces and making you, like, almost anxious the whole time. But um, I think the problem, and this is an opinion, but I think the problem with horror games now is that with Resident Evil 5 and 6, Dead Space 3, and Fear 3, they and they gave you co-op options. And one of the biggest things about horror games is that you need almost, like, isolation. Mm-hmm. Like, the character needs to be isolated, or you playing, being immersed, needs to be isolated from someone but with the like rise of co-op demands, which most games now people want like a multiplayer fa- or factor or like co-op in it, I think that's kind of killing or that killed. I, I don't think games necessarily are like this anymore. I think 2015 or 2013 or whenever Amnesia came out, 2012 mm-hmm. to now that's changed. But like, I think a written rule is that horror games almost need isolation in order to like induce fear. And plus, the second person could see. Um, something that you don't see or hear something that you don't see and then warn you. And then mm-hmm. you're like, oh, okay, Ooh, I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I agree to a certain extent mm-hmm. uh, because there is this rise of asymmetrical horror games yes. that I've seen coming around like, uh, what was that? Well, Dead by Daylight? Is Dead by the... Daylight where the one person's the killer and then the four people are not. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, there's a project by a YouTuber named Kriken mm-hmm. that is the scares are... Uh, pretty much made by the Twitch chat. Yeah. Where there's that kind of bit of asymmetric gameplay. And I think that could be great for yeah. horror games. I think that's 
I think that might actually that's like a good experimental field that could be the next step for some horror games because when you add in players, like not playing together against a certain goal, but when you add in players against you, um, horror games do really well with this idea of the uncertainty, mm-hmm. um, and like the darkness is the uncertainty in like classic or golden age horror, and like in these games. It's not easy to predict a person, what a person's going to yeah. do. And that does wonders for the replayability of the yeah. game, too. Oh, yeah. Like, that's I'm, a like, huge problem with horror games. Yeah. Especially um, in the uh, Five Nights at Freddy's series. Like, once you know when the scares happen, like, what's the point of playing it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, Markiplier has it down to an art. Like, yeah. he knows, like, I have to do this before this happens, and then this, and then this is all just... Uh, the goal of beating the timer in order to get to your next shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it becomes about that and instead of about that moment of silence and being like, is it going to happen now? Is it going to happen later? Uh, it just kind of, you know, ruins the scare yeah. whenever it winds up happening. And then Matt Pat did all the fun stuff. Yeah. Right? I mean, the story. That was the thing about Five Nights at Freddy's was that like you survive the nights, survive the six nights or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, okay, that was cool. I don't really know what was happening. I didn't pay attention to it. So just go watch MatPat on Game Theory and they would yeah, explain he it knows. to you. Yeah, he knows. I mean, he knows everything about of course it. <laughs> well, okay, he knew everything from his perspective and then... And Scott Cawthon ruined it. Yeah, and Scott... <laughs> making yeah. a fifth. Yeah, and he's like, oh yeah, hey, we're dropping sister location. Today. Today. And what it a, changes What a wonderful everything. marketing campaign. Oh yeah. Scott Cawthon. It's Cawthon. too dark. I'm too... <laughs> it scares me too much to actually release it. Also, the game's out in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> He released his Twitter post, and then like three minutes later, screw it, it's on Steam, go. And or I read somewhere that he was like, oh, well, we're canceling it because it's just not good enough for children. I'm going to push it back. I'm going to make it more family friendly. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, it's on, on Steam. Well, if, you, <laughs> if you'd like me to elaborate, I know the full story of what he was saying he was going to do. Yeah. He was going to release a child-friendly version on Steam mm-hmm. and then episodically release mature versions on Game Jolt. He okay. released episode one of Sister Location in the mature version on Game Jolt, but it was a clone of one of his old like Christian games, yeah. but with a Freddy mask. Okay. And then the next day he released Sister Location on Steam. So yeah. it was all a big joke. And he's that's this, exactly what he said. He's got this guerrilla marketing kind of technique yeah. that, I mean, it's like him and a few other people that make these games, but it's just like... He has the power to release them whenever. Yeah, oh, yeah. He, doesn't he like contact kind of uh, MatPat directly? Like he kind of like calls him out on his site, and it's like you were close, but not quite. He's done that a few times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. His site's like a basic, just real simple website that just changes text. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you know how to uh, inspect HTML objects, then yeah. <laughs> you can know what ne- what game's coming next. Yeah, that's he's actually done that a lot. Um, you brought up sister location, and this is kind of like the right now as we're recording this episode. That's kind of the current, like, latest, like, release that everybody was talking mm. about. Um, did you play it? I did. Yeah. Would, I don't think it was very, like, scary necessarily. I think it was more interesting. Honestly, I thought it was just bad. Yeah. I had a very, I, I have a, like, I looked online at the mm-hmm. types of reviews. Yeah. And usually the first few Freddy games, they were received pretty well. Mm-hmm. This one was received fantastically, as I saw. But the game, it seems very, like, he had all these ideas, but none of them worked to sustain its own full game. Right. So each night is a different idea. Mm-hmm. So it becomes really confusing because a lot of it is not necessarily intuitive. 
there's a whole night where you're just having to pull back a door because something's opening the door. Yeah. And yeah. you know, if you've played the Five Nights at Freddy's franchise before, that once the door opens, there's going to be a jump scare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're completely prepared for it. I, I also, I also read, though, that um, like it was far different than any other Freddy because you weren't Absolutely. just sitting at a screen mm-hmm. closing the door conserving power you had all these different objectives that you had to complete before the night was out and one of them you know like it started out simple like oh well I have to rearrange this and put that back and then mm-hmm. at one point you know you're trying to get out of a suit because something put you in there and like I I feel like yeah I kind of agree when reading it because I didn't play it I read it, reviews mm-hmm. over it like that it it kind of seems like it was pretty sporadic. Like mm-hmm. it didn't exactly have that f- that Five Night Night at Freddy's feel. Mm-hmm. It had the just different ideas. Oh well, you need to go and do this. Well, actually, you need to go and do that. And it j- it just didn't connect with you. Well, you mentioned that someone was talking that it had all these different gameplay ideas. I think they're all the same. They're different physically, yeah. but mechanically, they're all just time management of a mm-hmm. certain action. They're just framed completely differently. It's literally a game full of mechanics used from the other games. And lore. And lore. It's just, hey, uh, you've been put in Springtrap suit. and yeah. you need L- to... LOL, remember Springtrap? Yeah, yeah, that was actually probably <laughs> the most like unique experience of the entire game was... Uh, being sit in spring traps, spring traps suit, which you know was the least scary kind of Five Nights at Freddy's character. Yeah, um, he's the he was the one in three that just kind of like walked up to you, be like, "Hey yeah. guys, I'm here." <laughs> just kind of flex, and you got yeah, scared. Yeah, he's here. like, "I'm gonna I'm gonna put you in my body." I'm but, uh, taking over. <laughs> yeah, but in this one, you had the screws, and you had to keep clicking the screws to keep you going. But uh, Ballora, the ballerina, mm. she had these little puppets, and they were climbing up on you. Yeah, that was the only part of the game I actually kind of felt. A little scared. Did you play it on day one? No. Oh, okay. Are you talking about how difficult it was? Yes, because yes. I played it on day one. No. Yeah. It was basically impossible. Yeah. You had to be down to perfect second clicks. Mm-hmm. And I think he released it too early because yeah. he had to patch multiple things that were just yeah. too hard. Mm-hmm. Like, did nobody play test this? in order for none of the lore to get leaked. Mm -hmm. Because that's what I think he did. Because the game is very much, if you're not a fan of Five Nights at Freddy's lore, you're really not going to enjoy Sister Location. No. Because I would say maybe 30%, if not more, of the game is somebody talking, not to you, but at you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to tell you my backstory, and you're going to (laughs) listen. I think the problem with Five Nights at Freddy's as a whole is the focus now on horror games is the jump scare or I can hide. And yeah. Five Nights at Freddy's is the ultimate example of jump scare. Yeah, and you, especially like in that part where it's so difficult that you're trying to get the timing down right, and eventually it's going to end in the jump scare if you don't get the timing down right. And then mm-hmm. you just become entirely desensitized to that. Yes. Yeah. And then it's you like, get angry and you punch the computer. Yeah, yeah, and then equipment is destroyed in the process. <laughs> and but, uh, that's almost bad design that it makes you angry too. Like horror games should make you frightful and almost frustrated, but not too frustrated. And then, all right, because like, it shouldn't be so hard that yes. you cannot do it and you get angry to mm-hmm. the point where you want to quit the game. I feel like it should be difficult, but not difficult to the point of impossible. Yeah. And horror games now are re- the, the jump scare is that it's the focus is we need to get them to the jump scare. Cause that's the meat of the game. Mm. But Getting to the jump scare usually means in a game over, and that usually means in doing it over and over again, and that usually results in a player not having a good experience. Mm-mm. 
And I think in horror games, user experience is probably... Whereas in other games, it's like you're going to find aspects of the user experience that work out real well. Like in action-adventure, oh, they like the shooting or they like the climbing around. In horror, the fear is the user experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, in games like Five Nights at Freddy's, especially where the uh, jump scare ends in a game over, like as soon as it happens, that's it, you're done, and then you're frustrated because, oh, I'm going to have to start over. Uh, that kind of kills the formula in horror games where it's tension, 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 the scare happens, and then after the scare happens, you're a little relieved for a little bit mm-hmm. until the tension builds back mm-hmm. up. Uh, until you see the title screen. Until you yeah. see the title And then you're mad. And then you're angry. Yeah. So it's very important to have that moment afterward of, okay, it happened. I feel like I can go on now. And then the tension builds back up. And then it happens again. Yeah. And it's kind of, you don't necessarily get addicted to that, but uh, you get to the point of you're not sure when the next one's going to happen, but you know that it's happened before. So you're trained to know, uh, to anticipate it, and anticipating that creates the tension. Mm-hmm. And then, like, certain games have the formula where it's like, oh, well, you do this objective, this objective, scare, objective, objective, scare. And then there, and you know, that's throughout the game. And then some games have, like, oh, objective, scare, and then another scare, and then like six objectives, and then a scare. And it's more sporadic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's I very mean, important. Pacing is honestly one of the most important elements of horror games. And I think with like Five Nights and things like games like that that are coming out, they're trying to change the formula on pacing. They're like, well, pacing's overused. It's overdone. We don't need it anymore. It's kind of there for yeah. a reason. It's like almost like a scientific like evaluation of a game. Like psychology says that a player will play a game if they have a, like, a personal goal why they're playing it. But if you're kind of keeping them back, if it's too challenging or if it's just too much all at once, mm-hmm. the pacing gets disrupted right. and a player will quit. Or if there's no really like discernible goal for you like if you're like there's no point as to why i should be doing this then you just get bored as a player and Mm -hmm. you don't touch it anymore right yeah i don't know if it's just me but five nights at freddy's kind of it limits a basic human reaction Mm -hmm. to fear that is the flight or fight response yeah like you have neither choice you have the sit and watch response yeah (laughs) and that I feel like that limits the attachment that I can get to the game because I don't feel like I'm in the game because I can't do anything. I'm tied mm-hmm. to a chair. Mm-hmm. I definitely feel like I am the character Mike Schmidt yep. in the uh, in the instance of Five Nights at Freddy's 1. I'm surprised I knew that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And almost at the same time, like, like horror games need the disempowerment. I mean, we've talked about that, but Five Nights, they're like, you, you are disempowered. I don't necessarily believe you're disempowered in Five Nights. I mean, the ability to control the doors in the first one is in its own right a power. Yeah. Foxy comes running down the hall. You hear him. It's audio cue. Close the door. I think they would need to give you some glimpse of the powers you could have. Yeah. But, you know, that never happens. The it, powers are definitely laid out to you, mm-hmm. and none of them are necessarily taken away. I think they well, consider it disempowered because you do have a limited amount mm-hmm. of, like, uh, power? actual power that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actual power that you have in the game you can't just keep both doors yeah. closed the entire night right. you have to time it you have to worry and you have to listen really hard and i think that's the disempower that they're getting at but they they do this thing in it where and it's it randoms happen or it happens randomly where one door or light just won't work but it's very rare that that happens and that's actually like one the like scariest moment in the game is that that really 
Yeah. Is it in the first one? It's in the first one, and not everybody got it, and it only happens to a few people, and I don't know if it was supposed to be a bug or something like that, where you just click on the door, the light, and it doesn't work. Yeah, because I I know that will happen if the animatronic is already in your room, Mm -hmm. and then if you pull up the thing and pull back down, it's a jump scare. Yeah. 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 So Uh, this is different than that. Well, I guess so. From what, like, I've never had it, like, a personal thing, but we were sitting in a dorm room a few years ago, and somebody was playing it when it first came out. Nothing was in the room. It just didn't work. Kept clicking it. Finally started working again. That's really interesting. Yeah, and in its own right, that actually made the, made it much more scary because it was like, I've had this mechanic. I don't have this mechanic anymore. Yeah. Suddenly I can't see down the hallway and then it mm-hmm. makes you want to close the doors more and then go to the cameras. And yeah. like, I think it would, I think that's more of a disempowering effect and would probably make Five Nights at Freddy's and especially the newest one even more scary is like, oh, suddenly like my lights don't work for like, Yep. no logical reason or mm-hmm. I can't even access all these cameras for like a short amount of time. Yeah, but that, uh, do you think that's a little unfair though? Like if they mis- establish the mechanics and then yep. for no reason they're just gone. For like, if there's no way to, perfe- to prevent it. For like some, for like just sudden like um, short bursts I feel like it would especially like you know, because Markiplier, as you mentioned daily earlier, mm-hmm. um, got it down to a science of, okay, well, I do this and then I do mm-hmm. that and then I do that. I feel like it would scare players like him more if suddenly, like, he goes to the camera and you can't see. Yeah. And, like, it's only for a short second. Like, they, you know, go to it, they can't see, and mm-hmm. then they go back to it and then they can see. And they're like, there's no logical reason as to why this happens. Here's my idea for a redesign on the Five Nights at Freddy's one. And you were talking about being unfair. Get, do that thing where they take away the ability to do something and give them fear for it, but only let it happen in failure very rarely. Mm-hmm. Like don't let it happen a lot. And that creates moments of fear that is not actually something that's going to stop them from playing the game and experiencing it, but it gives them um, kind of an insight to being like something's not working. And that causes panic. But the biggest thing, and I think this is universal for all horror, is just tension. It creates tension. Like... Something can come through this door, and I have no control to stop it. But do you think you'd have to restrain that to, like, a certain time interval? Yes. Because imagine if you've got, like, one hour left, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden when both animatronics are at your door, yep. it, st- it stops at jams. Yeah. Like, I was thinking if you introduced uh, an animatronic that is not there for the jump scare, it will never jump scare you and your game, um, but there's a certain room, like, uh, mechanisms rooms that controls all of your power mm-hmm. and it can go into that room if you don't if you don't keep track of it and mm. it can shut off your stuff until you you know do something to yeah. take care yeah. of it and get it out of there i mm-hmm. think like if you're not punished for the thing that's creating more tension like if uh the power like you said core like if the power sometimes randomly doesn't work um as long as it's not established that as soon as that happens you're screwed okay. yeah. and you're going to get attacked don't, don't do the golden freddy effect that it's yes. just a random failure at times yeah, yeah. But, that, that ruins it. But that include doesn't. it as, like, just an instance of, like, something's gone wrong and it's another thing that you have to look at. If the Golden Freddy wasn't a failure state, it would be perfectly fine. Yeah. If it just scared you and then uh, life goes on, like, that would be even more scary, I think. Five Nights at Freddy's 3, while it was probably the worst one, in my opinion, did it really well with, like, Balloon Boy and stuff like that where they had, like, oh, the, the Phantoms. Yeah. The, the phantoms and yeah. they don't make you fail. They don't do mm-hmm. anything. It's just... It, it it's almost like a psychological stop. Stop. I mean, it stalls you from continuing forward. Yeah, it takes over that brain power. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think like a good horror game needs to actually start affecting you on like an actual psychological level, not just, oh crap. Okay, let me not do that again. It needs to be like, 
oh, wait, uh, did that just really happen? Wait, I'm in panic. I need to do this other thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't necessarily have to result in failure. Like, oh, wait, they instantly fail if it happens. But in like Five Nights 1, just maybe giving them a glimpse without power mm -hmm. and like things get close. Then turn the power on immediately. Yeah. Like give them that option. But I mean, Five Nights at Freddy's is meant for a specific audience. And it's meant for YouTube. Let's be honest. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It can be played in short bursts. That's mm -hmm. basically the length uh, of a normal YouTube episode. Yeah. Like the uh, time of night takes, I'd say, it's around 10 to 15, not 50 minutes. It's, it's like maybe like 8 to 10 minutes. Yeah, isn't yeah. it? It's almost, I think the first night, the first night it's like 30 seconds per minute or something mm. like that. But it like, it gets a little longer later, but it's yeah. like, I don't think you're spending more than and then 10 you, minutes. And then you add starting uh, the YouTuber starting at the at the title screen phone guy yep and then the failure states and you've yep. got a YouTube episode yeah I mean it's doing it for them yeah it's mm -hmm. just that perfect formula of like we need something crazy to happen in the next couple minutes and that's the whole video I, I don't think in the beginning that was the intention for five nights one I really don't think Scott Cawthon was no. thinking like uh, youtubers like this length of videos yeah mm -hmm. no. um, I, I mean at that time was... it was like amnesia was still the highlight of YouTube. I mean, mm -hmm. all the YouTubers were getting big from amnesia. Yes. Um, but <laughs> amnesia, amnesia, <laughs> amnesia is definitely a unique experience. Not machine for pigs. Don't play that. No, but play yeah, that was the terrible. darkness in it. But now games, indie games are obviously the, the scare field. I mean, AAA titles aren't caring as much. You know, that's not actually too true. We got Resident Evil seven coming out in a few months now. And that kitchen demo. <laughs> But who are we to say that the demo's going to be anything like the game? That's yeah. what really worries me. Mm -hmm. yep. Because PT was its own standalone experience. Yeah. And it more hinted at what Silent Hills could have been. Yeah. Which yeah. probably... My my claim is that Silent Hills could have possibly have been, like, the scariest game that's ever existed. Mm -hmm. Because it's a Silent Hill game set in the world of Silent Hill with the disempowerment, the tension, everything. With Guillermo del Toro and Hideo Kojima. I mean, that was just... That would have been a beautiful. Yeah, we can only we can only pray and that, that Death Strand. Uh, Junji Ito. Uh, uh, Junji Gyo. Uh, Ito, right? Ito. Uh, yeah. yeah, but basically the uh, manga gore master was the in visual on master it. of horror. Like mm. he has created some really really interesting stuff. Uh, and if you want to hear us talk about it, go check us out on the Anime A Team <laughs> for our horror episode. Oh. <laughs> but uh, so I think right now we're in a transition period, and. PT was a glimpse into what could have been in the future, but I don't know how much you guys have seen about future horror games. Um, I wrote a few down um, for you guys to check out. What did you guys think of Outlast 2? I don't like Outlast, personally. The first one. One thing I liked about the original Outlast, at least in the beginning, of course, it mm -hmm. got supernatural, yeah. is like, oh, this is kind of... It's it's grounded in reality within its own world. Yeah. So it's not grounded in our reality, Yeah. obviously. But Outlast 2, it's getting a little more supernatural right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, I, is it okay for me to spoil the demo? Like, have you guys played the Oh, demo? I mean, I'm, I'm totally it. fine with yeah, you yeah, spoiling the demo. There's a part where everything, it's just you walking through a village. Uh -huh. And then you walk up to a well, you get pulled by a tentacle monster. All of a sudden, it's school. Yeah. And it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. And there's not even that great outlast run. The first scare is not running from something yep. that you know will kill you. It's literally the first scare is a jump scare in your face that you don't know how to control. It's yeah. a scripted scare. Yeah, it's absolutely scripted. Yeah, and I, my biggest thing with Outlast, and I, I will, I've torn it apart in papers and like academic things, but 
Outlast in its right is unique in that it's it's an asylum with realistic things and it's people and it's gritty and it's real and um, it's based on what's his name's horror. The Whistleblower was a good DLC, but um, Outlast as a whole got incredibly scripted and yeah. it was easy. And like I, I love supernatural horror, but um, <clears throat> from what I read and what I saw and what Jax explained. Um, I don't like when supernatural is right off the bat. I like discovering that supernatural, that discovering that weird, like just off the wall reason as to why these things are happening. And mm-hmm. that's what I liked about Atlast. But then Atlast had that system, that mechanic that you figured out again. Yeah. And um, I feel like Outlast 2 is not going to be as good as Outlast because Outlast was good, but it, again, the same mechanic that you mm-hmm. figure out and it's yeah. easy. Well, there's like there's games like Fear, mm-hmm. where the supernatural element is a being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where it's that little girl. The problem with Outlast 2 is that the supernatural element appears to be the world. Yeah. Oh. Like, it's not that a certain being is supernatural, can walk through walls and be anywhere and unpredictable. Mm-hmm. It's the locations that you can go to and what's inside the locations unpredictable. Nothing's grounded mm-hmm. in Outlast 2, and that's... I don't know if that's good or bad. Because it's good in a sense in that you have zero expectations. You don't know where you could go next. But it's bad because it's not cohesive mm-hmm. and may not be an experience that would stick with you. So with Outlast 2, it's really focused on the setting, which is fine for mm-hmm. horror games to do. I mean, Silent Hill is named Silent Hill because of the setting and all the scares were in the setting. But if they're really going to start making this this series more about the settings, they need to show that it's a cohesive story in the world. Like things need to start connecting and something that happens early in the game or in that game, if they make a sequel, needs to attach it to itself or things need to start attaching. Yeah. Well, that's something uh, in Outlast 2 that I think they're doing wrong now. Yeah. Is that in Outlast 1, in the intro, it has, it, it's really, the whole intro is you going up into this asylum. It shows you where you're going to be playing the game. Mm-hmm. Outlast 2, it starts with a car crash establishing two characters. So immediately it's less about the world and more about you and who you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. You're looking for it's very much Silent Hill Shattered Memories. Mm-hmm. Car crash, person that you were with is gone, go yeah. find person. Yeah. But it also doesn't have that personalized experience like of Shattered Memories either. I mean, Shattered mm-hmm. Memories wasn't that good, but it was I, more personalized. Uh, it's definitely not that good. I loved it yeah. because it was the first Silent Hill game I ever played. Right, right. And it was on the Wii so you could use the flashlight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just my thing with uh, Outlast in the first game is that you are into the asylum and you've already had the glimpse of what the outside world is like. It's like it's not crazy out there. It's Mm -hmm. crazy inside the asylum. So the point of tension with me with playing the game was that, like, I'm so close to getting out of this as soon as I'm outside the borders of this place. From the beginning, you know where you want to escape to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In Outlast 2, at least so far, the... There doesn't seem to be an escape. Yeah, where am I going? Yeah, I'm yeah. going into more cornfield, uh, mm-hmm. which can equally be terrifying, even if there's not something crazy inside yeah. the cornfield. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that Outlast 2 won't be scary and it won't be a fun experience. Like, I, I have high hopes in a way for it that um, Outlast 1 is one of those games that a lot of modern horror is doing is like, okay, it's made to be scary in the game, but make you feel safer in real life almost. Like, oh, I mean, I'm not going to go to an asylum and do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's supernatural, and that's kind of hard to really translate into real life. But crazy people out in the country is actually, like, something that... I mean, in <laughs> yeah, my no. hometown, crazy <laughs> people live in the country. Um, mm-hmm. And that's actually a little kind of scary to me, and that's kind of lasting. 
But I hope they kind of keep going with it, giving you that factor that's like you're not safe wherever you are. Whereas in Outlast, it's like I'm in the locker. He could pull me out of the locker, but I'm safe here for the most part. This is just a design idea. So when you're in the country, mm-hmm. everything is very... Uh, like there's no tall buildings. Yeah. So you know that there's there's only like one floor kind of buildings. Mm-hmm. So everything is kind of on this plane. Yeah. What if you establish that in a big like abandoned city where there's like there's different levels where things can live? Yeah. So I don't know if that establishes more of like an unknown environment if it's in a big city where there's more opportunity for mm-hmm. things to be crawling around. Because when you were thinking like, oh, you live in the country, I'm like, oh, I'm from Detroit. Yeah. Like that wouldn't scare me. <laughs> right. Detroit scares me. Yeah, and that's a real-life experience. Like, yeah, yeah, Detroit's a scary place. Yeah, I think the the scary thing about the openness of the country is that you don't have a lot of place to hide. There's not a lot of things you're able to hide behind or shield yourself with. You also can't get help easily. Yeah, Yeah. there's not people around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, versus, and again, it's just because I grew up in the country, so that's what scares me the most. It's a living experience, and... My argument is that most modern horror is to honestly not scare you afterward. It's to just make you feel safe afterward. It's almost like a feel-good effect. You're like, oh, I'm scared. (laughs) I'm not scared anymore. I can put the controller down. I'm fine afterward. And it doesn't really impact you on that psychological level. I think there's power in designing for psychological horror. Yeah, I mean, the the scariest games, again, uh, with me is that it's in a house. I live in a house. This could happen. Like, Allison Road I'm not going to be able to play Allison Road. I'm not even maybe worry, going to be able to. Don't it was to... canceled. It's back. It's back again. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, Unless it I... got canceled twice. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm excited that it wasn't, uh, it got uncanceled uh, because I think it's going to be an amazing game, but I'm just not sure how I'm going to be able to experience it because I don't even know if I'll be able to watch someone play it because it's like, I sympathize with that so much in like, you get up, it's an odd hour of the night. You're walking around. Uh, you do dishes for some reason. You get a <laughs> glass of water, but there's just something else with you. And, like, I don't know if I believe in ghosts. That could happen. Mm-hmm. I live in a house. Again, it's just, like, don't make things happen Wait. in places that I'm familiar with. I do dishes. <laughs> I, do, I do dishes. Yeah. I, I like water. Get thirsty at night. <laughs> yeah. So we're going through this revolution of games and things are starting to change and we're experimenting now. Like 2017 is looking like a good year for horror games. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to bring up this idea of two games that aren't really a horror necessary. They kind of are. But we talked about like horror games kind of have this gritty dark visuals, you know, like that. Yeah. We Happy Few and Hello Neighbor look oh. like oh. colorful experience. Well, most of the time in We Happy Few. but I'm some. actually really excited for We Happy Few mm-hmm. because it, it does play on that psychological. Yeah. Like, it's that, you know, you're trying to survive. You're trying to basically, as far as I understand it, sort of get out and, like, not be crazy. And by not being, quote, normal, mm-hmm. um, you you get attraction, like, a not attraction yeah uh, well attraction of of people to you because they're like why aren't you why aren't you doing the things like the abnormal things that are normal to us like what are you doing you're you're different Mm -hmm. boo different we're Mm -hmm. gonna kill you and um but it's so almost like a whimsical horror and as i know at one point in the trailer when a person is like on this like the playground like horse things that are on springs that you bounce around on and like just like laughing really maniacally and at some point 
like in the trailer that I watched, you, it tells you you have to do all these weird things to fit in while surviving. But of course, those affect you psychologically. Mm-hmm. So then you can't do things correctly. And mm-hmm. like, that's just so that's scary to me mm-hmm. that you're the abnormal one by being normal and you have to do all these things that affect you. But still, while trying to survive and just yeah <laughs> i'm 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 really excited for it and yeah. i it it's i love the color of it mm-hmm. i don't know perhaps i'm cynical after yeah. experiencing machine for pigs right but as soon as i'm five minutes into the games like okay this is a this is a stance on society i get it mm-hmm. take my joy i'll be fine yeah. censor the news yeah it's like it's a game that's heavily inspired by like 1984 and mm-hmm. brave new world and bioshock and bioshock bioshock um, and it's about just dystopian futures. Well, I guess not dystopian. It's more utopian. Trying to create utopia. Yeah, which often I don't know. ends in dystopia. dystopia. What's, what's the bridge between half of it is dystopia and half of it is utopia? Because I don't know if you guys have seen the demo, mm-hmm. but that's kind of what it is. Yeah. Like there's yeah. this obvious gap. They're yeah. not killing mm-hmm. the people who live in dystopia. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a thought experiment on yeah. society. Yeah. And... It'll be interesting how the game works. I mean, I, I saw like a clip and I saw this a while back. It was just people you were going about and people just watching you mm-hmm. in public. And that's pretty scary to me, actually. That's lasting. So y- none of you have watched the whole demo? Like I watched a, a certain Let's Player play through the yeah, whole I've seen demo. like demo and things like that. But... I'm The demo did not seem very scary. Yeah. As in the intro is um, because you're running from people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very it was very outlast. Yeah. But then as soon as you get out into this big open world, like there's people everywhere mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you're exposed to all to everything that you're in danger from. Yep. It's very much, sir, you are being hunted. Yes. If you know that game. <laughs> yeah. Where it's you're collecting resources in order to progress. It's yep. an RPG in a sense. Yeah. So the reason why I'm bringing it up on this podcast is the promises that are made that it is almost like a evolutionary horror game. Mm-hmm. And this is from YouTubers and things like that talking about it, that in a sense, depending on how the game turns out, it might be a new kind of psychological reaction that causes for you. Hmm. And it's one of those uncanny things where things are just not quite, things look normal, but they're not normal. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting concept because, A, it's colorful. Some parts of it are colorful. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just got a unique kind of style to it. It almost has like... An animation movie style. Yeah. It's like it's whimsical. It's like yeah. not colorful. Yeah, saturated. Whimsical child yeah. art. Like yeah. Disney creepypasta. Disney yeah. creepypasta. <laughs> like Tim that's... Burton if he if he was a little bit happier and still worked for Disney. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's pretty accurate. So I don't know. I think We Happy Few will be interesting when it fully releases. Not the early a- or the what is it, early access or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but I think it could be a mold for future horror games. Mm-hmm. Um, much. But then there's also Hello Neighbor. Hello Neighbor, I don't know if you guys have seen too much about mm-hmm. it. Hello Neighbor is that game with the adaptive AI. and It's kind of a, it's just a small time game. It's not really a horror game. It's a, It has jump scares and things like that in it because he's there. But what's really scary about this game is the is the actual AI. And I think designing games with this kind of idea of an AI. If I had played Alien Isolation with something with an adaptive AI, it had an adaptive AI, but an adaptive, an adaptive AI like they've promised, I don't think I would have been able to do it. Like, I think mm-hmm. it actually would have been one of the scariest experiences of my life. Because the AI, doesn't it, like, 
what you do is like if you happen to go through a window or you break through a window and it catches you the next time the house reloads Mm -hmm. like the window is super guarded and like super different and there's traps everywhere and so you have to change how you play the Mm -hmm. game it's Mm -hmm. also that if you tend to take certain paths through certain rooms the ai can learn your path and Mm -hmm. begin to predict where you'll end up next and like thinking about that sort of ai paired with a game like alien isolation or even like outlast Mm -hmm. learning your patterns and how you play the game is super horrifying to me the trailer legitimately scared me yeah Mm -hmm. and i mean talk about a movie that looks like a disney pixar uh, the game, game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hello yeah. Neighbor looks like it could be like a Pixar trailer in disguise. He looks like a Pixar dad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he absolutely yeah. Does. yeah. Just generic Pixar dad. Have you guys seen the scene when you you go back to your house? Because like, if he catches you, you hear the music and like it's a shriek kind of sound, and you gotta run back to your house across the street, mm. and you go to your bed, and that's how you reset him. Sometimes you have like a nightmare sequence where it's just like crazy sounds and music from outside your window and there's a big bay window in your bedroom and then all of a sudden you just see him and he's gigantic and his eyes just looking in your room and i shouldn't have turned away from the mic for that one but (laughs) (laughs) um his eyes looking at you and his hand starts reaching into your house to grab you Uh yeah and that kind of that's kind of interesting too uh just kind of psychologically like you're you know you're in a nightmare it's not going to change the fact that it's a terrible, scary game. I don't know what you guys are like excited for specifically in the game, whether it be the gameplay. I want to know if there's a story and what story they could tell. Isn't... I want to know who I am and who this guy is. Yep. Isn't the story like you're trying to get to this guy's basement because mm-hmm. like, he has something in his basement that's like something scary like that. or big so. or something? And that's very intriguing. Mm-hmm. Like, like yeah. I know the easy paths that could take. Like this dude worships Satan or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they yeah. could just go that route or they could go... I mean, I don't even know. Yeah, Maybe like, you're a clone of his. Oh. And he's oh. trying to test like your abilities <laughs> or something. Yeah, well, I like that one. the master all along. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the thing that I, I'm purposefully, I've watched some people play and things like that, and they get to the basement and it cuts off, or I, I've cut the video off because I don't want to know anymore. The game gets real creepy as you're starting to go into the basement. Yeah, it's oh. like, like, does the game end when you find out the horrible secret? Or, like, that's that's what I want to know. Because is there then something it's like, before the game? Yeah. What, are you, what are you going after? And then how, what's the payoff when yep. you get there? Mm-hmm. And it's just a, it's a tension-wrapped experience. Mm-hmm. And I think, in its own essence, makes Hello Neighbor actually a modern horror game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the next year is really kind of ripe with some new experiences for horrors. Um, Resident Evil's taking photo, well, it's not photorealism, but it's high graphics and cr- putting a creepy rap on it with issues of family. And I don't know how much, how many trailers you've seen with it, but... Uh, I've only seen the one, uh, the first demo. Okay, yeah. One of the recent trailers that came out unveils the characters about it, and it's a family affair. Hmm. And he, it shows the father, and like Resident Evil's usually like zombies and like kind of creepy virus and stuff like that the father of the family comes walking through a wall and he's like at one point burning and things like that and he captures you and he has you sat down at a table mm. and then there's the creepy mother and the creepy father and the grandmother I think it was the grandmother the oh. sons and they're just sitting there and they're eating and it's just piles of meat and then the father walks up to you and tries to feed you an ear oh yeah a person ear a person ear <laughs> well, I and figured then, and then the woman just jumps up and she's just screaming because you won't take the ear. And it's like, like M. Night Shyamalan's The Visit. It is, yeah. It is like on par with just, it's this grotesque horror, this classical horror mixed with first person. 
gameplay and some sort of like creepy setting. I'm not going to amp it up and say it's going to be good because I don't really trust Resident Evil after 5, well, 6. 5 was fun, but... I don't blame you. Yeah, <laughs> but I think it's looking good, and I think horror is taking a lot of elements from the Golden Age. Like that psychological, like, yeah. oh, what am I going to do? Panicking, the tension, building it up, and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, one final game I want to bring up is this game uh, called Perception. And this is the game that actually seems like it might scare me the most. And it's kind of way under the radar. I don't know if it still exists, but it's a game made by Bioshock veterans. Hmm. And Bioshock was legitimately a terrifying game. Mm-hmm. It was. Um, if not for the environment, but it, but the big daddy. Yeah. Being that it's so powerful and you are so weak against it. And there's literally yep. the only thing between you and this huge horrifying thing is a tiny girl. Yep. And, and she's just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they came together and they're making this game called Perception. And from my understanding, Perception is a game where you play a blind person. That's what oh. that game is. Yes. Well, yeah, Ooh. where... Uh, it's just lines. It's like... Yeah, the, so the world around you is black, right? Yeah. And it's, it's almost like, like a sonar pulse. Yes. Interesting. And you com- you go through the game using sonar pulses and audio cues. Ooh. That's how you get through the game. And I don't know necessarily know the story too well. I'm actually purposefully not trying to look too much into it for when it fully comes out. I don't think it's fully out. I hope it's not fully out. But I, I haven't heard anything. Yeah, about yeah. It. Unless it went I'm way under the radar. I'm subscribed Markiplier, there, and yeah. I haven't seen anything. Yeah, there's a Kickstarter. Mark- there is a Kickstarter. <laughs> Markiplier out, always but... has everything that's like super recent, especially yeah, in but... horror. Yeah, but I think that is like honestly kind of one of those great experiments for what horror can be now yeah. with the technologies and. It's the unknown in front of you. And, like, I feel like first person, especially in horror, is a bit more effective. Third person, like, you know, the first couple Resident Evils and, like, Silent Hills, like, those are effective. But, you know, that was the golden age when graphics weren't good. And Camera camera controls didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And And so I feel like the first person gives you that aspect of, okay, I'm actually here, especially with the better graphics and the better technology. It also... it taps into the scariest uh, direction in yeah. terms of the human body, which mm-hmm. is behind you. Yeah. <laughs> and and I'm saying this because I don't know if this game's going to have it, but I think this is an awesome idea that put it in VR. Mm-hmm. Put in a VR experience and give them that sensation. I'm surprised we really haven't delved into VR almost being the future of horror. And well, we'll get actually, you know what? We'll get into that now because I have some thoughts on this. I think the thing about perception is that it's it's a unique experience that it's it's disempowerment, but not in the way that you take away somebody's weapons. Mm-hmm. You take away one of our sen- like one of our senses, yeah. especially if we're used to it. Yes, like, and it doesn't need the visual. I mean, the visual elements are there, but it's all audio. It's probably driven by some form of narrative, but it's just the experience as a whole is about playing as somebody who's blind. And we've already established that audio is is yeah. a powerhouse of horror basically. Yeah. I certainly hope that it doesn't focus on the narrative. Yeah, honestly. Honestly, it could just be an experiment on what it's like to be in that state. So mm-hmm. and put it in VR. And you brought up VR and daily you played VR all weekend. <laughs> I played VR all weekend. And so, I've never played uh, VR before. It's an experience. So in itself, even if you're not playing a scary game, it's kind of scary because you no longer have that disassociation. Mm-hmm. You no longer have the step backward from the screen and be like, I'm going to put down the controller real quick and go uh, get some Doritos. 
Like, you don't have that. You cannot... <laughs> yeah, uh, the Doritos come to you. you yeah. have, someone has to bring the Doritos to you. Um, and then even afterward, it's it sticks... Like, we've been talking about that lingering effect that's so important in horror games. And again, even if you're not playing a scary game in VR, reality feels weird mm-hmm. afterward. You're not sure what really is real or isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, like... That's going to be something that people will have to look out for when uh, VR becomes much more prolific is that there's a very uh, specific psychological and sometimes physical effect uh, after playing for a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, they suggest to uh, go little by little and build up. And I was like, no, I'm going to play it as I, much as I want to. <laughs> I don't know if there's some sort of like actual study or academic term for it, but I think there's actually important research to be found in having somebody play a horror VR experience for an hour and then take them out of it for an hour and watch what they do. I played an action game for an hour, and I just took it off, and I went and walked around for a little while, and it was really hard for me to actually, like, associate what was real and what wasn't afterward. It almost, like, sitting on the floor, I I was playing the game, and I was standing on carpet, and the carpet in the game looked like the carpet, or the carpet in the game looked like how my real carpet felt. And it kind of psyched me out. I was like, when I was in the world, it felt very fake still and things like that I mean the scares were there and stuff but when you take it off and you're taking a moment and you're just walking around it's hard to get it out of your mind you still see things and it's a it's a dissonance effect yeah and when you like the thing that uh we've been talking about too with uh modern horror games is that afterward they're trying to make you feel safe you're away from that experience all is well now um with VR you don't have that as much even if you're not in the super creepy kitchen or the asylum anymore uh it's still like i was looking at this like right in front of my face a Mm -hmm. few minutes ago why wouldn't that appear again imagine if almost like a little big planet horror crossover you could start a horror game by building the layout of your house and the game takes place within that layout and you know what you get the uh the fitbit like code and everything like that and you make it to where the game gets progressively scarier based on your heart rate oh my god no i veto this instantly and the only way you can continue is that you have to learn how to control your own heart rate that's your disempowerment is learning how to control your own that's incredible that's that just sounds so difficult they did it there was like some experiment games where they were like doing that where like oh you watch the screen you have this little heartbeat monitor, put it in VR and teach people how to actually calm themselves in horror. And that's both a life skill gaining thing, but more also it'd be kind of funny to see how people react. If it was a layout of your house and the first scare that got you was in the in your bedroom, yeah. in your virtual bedroom, <laughs> would people be able to sleep there after no. taking off the, the helmet? That's a creative project that I think people should actually dive into it. Mm. And because, it, like, making a computer-aided design mm-hmm. uh, kind of layout would not be that difficult. Yeah. Uh, unless you want to, like, walk around with a camera and mm-hmm. have, like, a computer try to uh, dissect the boundaries of your yeah. actual home. Pretty much create, like, a sim situation where it's like you build your own house. Mm-hmm. I love the idea play. of games like that. Um, mm-hmm. Even if they aren't horror, like, building up something to, like, the best that you can. So basically, like, the better you are at the first part of the game, the worse it's going to be for you later. Like, if, like, you build your house and it's secure and, like, lots of locked doors and, like, lots of weird corners and everything, Mm and it's going to suck for you later if, like, you're going through it in a horror situation. Then 
imagine an adaptive AI in your house. Yeah. Oh, other than just a wandering monster, because it will just have no idea. It's going towards you. It's mm-hmm. pathfinding you. Yeah. Yeah. But if it's actively waiting for you to come to it, mm-hmm. that makes it more scary in the you know the, the post game of actually walking through your house. Take that adaptive AI and take it a step back and even farther mm-hmm. and make the actual like experience adaptive meaning that every scare is going to be different based on what kind of person you are yeah. make it a subjective experience Ooh. like <laughs> make it based around like yeah. have them take that questionnaire like shattered memories had you do that That's questionnaire. I was just about to bring yeah. that up <laughs> have them take that and make the scare experience based on what they are in their own home mm-hmm. we that might hurt some people you guys are trying to kill people right <laughs> I, now <laughs> you know what? i imagine we could even Let's expand on this uh, this impossible situation, yeah. at least now. Google Maps, right? Uh-huh. Oh, you know God. what the outside looks like. Yeah. So oh, type no. in your address. You got your neighborhood, boy. <laughs> oh. And even if it's like a small place, like an apartment or something like that, build it. You yeah. can do it. Oh, my gosh. Again, guys, this is why, like, Allison Road is so scary to me. Like, uh, that would be, like, my ultimate uh, horror experience is a VR experience. You're just in a house. You're doing chores. You're washing the dishes, going about uh, whatever. And then something, the uncanny happens. Mm-hmm. Something is slightly off. And then you're just experiencing that uh, for, you know, however long you're playing. And then you take off the headset and there's no escape because yeah. you're still in your house. Would it even be scary if it was something silly, but it's still in VR? Yes. Like, if you're doing mundane things, and then all of a sudden Squidward, like, would that still scare you? <laughs> yeah, uh. I think so, because, like, the the Rush of Blood uh, VR experience, the uh, Intel Dawn one, mm-hmm. like, I'm shooting clowns and, like, crazy things that will never happen. Uh, that's still, like, taking off the VR headset and being like, is a clown or a mannequin going to come at me at any one point in time? It might. Probably, is what my mind <laughs> was telling me yeah. uh, in a couple hours after taking off the headset. You, lo- you looked over the clown mannequin that you keep in your room at all times. <laughs> at all times. Like, this is leaving tonight. <laughs> well, you know what's actually funny? We're both from Peru, Indiana, which is clown capital. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, so, that, you know, that's actually a real experience. That's we might have the crazy experience. clowns. Yeah. The crazy clowns might exist in Peru, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they put it in the country, and then, whew, you two are gone. Yeah, uh, give <laughs> a real guess. horror experience. Bye. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? We, we can design our own game and make it just being about living our lives in a horror or in a country with creepy clowns. It'd be the most scary thing yeah. ever. You just happen to play VR. You get trapped in the VR. You have to find your way out of the VR, but the VR is exactly your real reality. Uh, There is no escape. You can't. No dissociation. Yeah, I was about to say. This has become a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Fund us. Fund us, please. (laughs) Kickstarter. Go find me. But there's originally technologies with a limitation that created scariness in games and fear and created lasting experiences. I think... The future of horror games necessarily doesn't have to take a step back with technology, but no, absolutely not. take a step back and looking at the psychological horrors and what makes horror subjective, like create an experience that can be different per person. I think uh, they need to take a step back, at least in the in the vein of Five Nights at Freddy's sister location, yeah. in the breadth of the game and focus yep. on the depth. Yep. And that's, I would, I don't know. My, my final like thoughts is, what do you guys think? Do you think the future of horror games is bright? Do you think it's coming back? I mean, we are in a renaissance technically with the indie rise and games like Amnesia coming to popularity and Outlast 2 will be it'll be generally good even though we trashed Outlast. Outlast was a decent game. It was well received. Do you guys think the future of horror games is bright? 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So horror games, and this is something I feel like I should have brought up earlier, mm-hmm. is that they can be very small and contained experiences, yep. but still be effective. Mm-hmm. And with technology that allows anybody to make any kind of game, yep. like take Game Jolt, for example. There are some actually great horror games that exist on there from just mm-hmm. one guy learning Unity for the first time. Yeah. And with those experiences combined with the VR, which I think VR is legitimately the future of gaming Mm -hmm. and what we've seen through this adaptive AI in uh, Hello Neighbor, which I'm really excited for. Yeah. And to top that all off, just the rise of horror game popularity, there's more of an incentive for those games to be made. Yeah. So I think the future is definitely bright. What do you guys think? Yes, Uh, I do. (laughs) Um, I think that... uh... Horror is definitely going back to that golden age. Um, The idea of like the disempowerment and the psychological and just like they're doing the visual and they're doing the story. um, But again, horror is that psychological effect. And it's the idea that you can't do anything. You're paralyzed. It's it's scary. And I feel like games nowadays are starting to go back to that Mm -hmm. with the Renaissance after... um, amnesia came out they're realizing that okay this is what people want now again Mm -hmm. and i think that's awesome yeah 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 for me i think uh yes definitely because of the rise of indie games and they're able to meet those niche things like they're able to meet that audience that animatronics scare me or being alone in the house scare me or uh just any of those little fears that uh lots of people have lots of people are able to identify with but they don't force themselves to fit that blanket audience and being like this will scare everyone uh it will probably scare some people but some people not so much Mm -hmm. um i think it it works better like you said jack in those self-contained experiences Mm -hmm. yeah i think that it's it's looking good i think that um, action games, while popular and everything like that, necessarily aren't going to stay like the only thing that are the main focus of the industry. AAA titles are going to start going back to horror, but the rise of indie games is really where it's at. Mm-hmm. And from what I've gotten from you guys tonight is that horror games are really about just a few elements. I mean, we have our visual and our audio cues that are important to creating the experience, a narrative that drives the experience. But from what you guys told me, the most important parts of a horror game need to be the disempowerment, um, the isolation almost, like the kind of the setting needs to be set, or the setting needs to be set, the setting needs to be there and it needs to give you an experience and that it's about building tension, but in a way that a subjective view can still scare anybody. Mm-hmm. And that's going to wrap up our episode, actually. Um, I want to know one last thing from each of you. What horror game experience, after talking about the design elements and everything, do you think the listeners should go out and try? Daily? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, I'd like to say everyone go put on a VR headset (laughs) and get uh, just your mind will blow entirely. But um, I think for a more accessible approach, uh, go watch what they have uh, done for Allison Road and then not feel safe in your own house. Um, That's just so pervasive and I think that uh, that's one of those games that does reach the broader audience in that we've all felt scared in our own houses at night mm-hmm. I would definitely say try games from the golden age of horror um, so uh, you know the Resident Evils and the Silent Hills and like games like Haunting Ground and everything um, because they really play upon that 
that idea that's coming back, which is the disempowerment and the psychological aspect of it and really plays on those important things that we've, you know, established tonight is the the audio cues and the visual. And Mm -hmm. although graphically they're not the best and, you know, technology wise, they were older consoles or older, you know, programs, they're still really beautiful and really get you in the mood for uh, things that are coming out now, which are the indie games, which, including Amnesia. Yeah. I'm going to suggest uh, two, technically. Mm-hmm. Um, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream is one I brought up earlier. That's one, if you don't want to feel safe within your own thoughts, you should mm-hmm. play I Have No Mouth. I'm serious when that game will change you in terms of its content. Um, however, it is also a very dated game. Mm-hmm. Um, so... A replacement for that, I would say Franbo, since they are both yes. point-and-click adventure games. But I'll also advertise that I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream is only $1 on GOG.com. Okay. So it's very much worth the experience mm-hmm. if you just don't want to think the same ever again. Yeah. Which who doesn't? Right. <laughs> in, in a good way, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a good way. I mean, that's kind of the lasting effect of horror games. Mm-hmm. Um, my final game that I think everybody should at least experience, whether watching it or playing it, is Go Play Silent Hill 2. You don't have to play the series, just play Silent Hill 2 or watch it because that is honestly what a true horror game with lingering fear and design or properly designed in this genre is. Um, there's a reason why when we were doing research for this podcast, it was at the top of every single horror game list and why most developers are saying that that is, that is the golden child of horror. Nothing will ever match it. I recommend that players need to take this concept and go out and look at indie games now where people are creating child projects and things that are based on their own fears because a real good horror game is based on somebody's own experiences and their own fears and to really go out and dive and find out what scares you because that's what's going to drive the future of the horror game genre and what actually what kind of design elements they need to be based on i want to thank you guys for joining me um Please uh, reiterate your names. I've been joined by the wonderful Miss... Daly Wilhelm. The wonderful Miss... Cora Wilson. And the awesome man, Mr... Jack McGinnis. Thank you for joining us on the first episode of How It's Played. And be sure to check out the rest of Byte content on our site at bytebsu.com. Um, we have tons of other podcasts focused on like things such as uh, women's issues in gaming, um, esports, and all sorts of other things. So check it out. And be sure to tune into our next episode where we talked about the the subject of the prejudice of play and what makes a good a game good versus a game that is bad. I've been your host Zach Sexton. Thank you. <laughs>